Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hey everyone, welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jody Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Tanya Gooley, and we are going to be talking about should I get the COVID vaccine? So Dr. Tanya Gooley received her PhD in 2002 from the University of Michigan in microbiology and immunology. Her postdoctoral training was with Dr. Rafi Ahmed at Emory University as a world leader in immunological responses to viral infection and vaccination. Dr. Gooley's postdoctoral research focused on the antibody and T cell responses to both viral infection and vaccination, including influenza vaccination in immune compromised individuals. Currently, she is working as a senior project coordinator in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology Emory Vaccine Center at the Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Gooley manages research studies on viral immunity, including a COVID-19 study, which is evaluating the longevity of the immune response to the SARS-CoV-2 virus in infected individuals over a two-year period. Dr. Gooley grew up in New Zealand and currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with her husband, two children, and three dogs. Welcome, Tanya. I'm so excited to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jodie. I'm really happy to be here. We'll just share with the audience that we know each other. We are second cousins and it must be at least 20 or so years since we've spoken to each other in person, but we reconnected on Facebook a few years ago. And the reason I reached out to you is because I saw a post that you made about vaccines. And I think that was probably last year when the US was starting to have their vaccine rollout. And maybe it was when you and your family got vaccinated. And then I put two and two together and thought, oh, that's what you do. So will you please let our audience know a bit about yourself and what brought you to working in this field? Well, thank you, Jody. So currently, as you mentioned, I live in the United States, but I am from New Zealand. I grew up in Christchurch, the oldest of four, in a pretty typical Kiwi family. Kind of was thinking about it, what drove me into the field of immunology and looking back was really what I experienced during my childhood. As you know, part of the family history we share is that there's the history of type 1 diabetes in our family, which is an autoimmune disorder where your own immune cells attack and destroy the islets of the pancreas and you can no longer produce insulin. So my dad was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as a young child. And at the time, monitoring technology was not close to being as sophisticated as it is today. So growing up, I witnessed him struggle with his diabetes management, complications, and his untimely death at age 49 when I was 21 years old. And well, my siblings at that point were all teenagers. So several years later after that, I got the opportunity to go to the United States and pursue a PhD in microbiology and immunology. And I jumped at the time, especially with my interest in autoimmunity. And then over the years, my interests have kind of 
gone to more of a bigger picture questions like understanding how the immune system works in response to viruses, autoimmunity, cancer, and really with the overall goal of developing better vaccines and therapeutics. That's a little bit about my background and why mm. I chose to go into this field. Yeah. How did you end up in the States? So it's actually a really interesting story. So I went to University of Canterbury and undergraduate, and then I worked at Lincoln University, which is also just outside of Christchurch, for a couple of years with a professor who was actually American. And he suggested, why not apply to PhD programs in the United States? Mm -hmm. And my fiance at the time was also looking for postdoctoral positions. So he had an offer in Michigan, so I applied to their program and I was accepted. So that's how I ended up in the United States. And then after being University of Michigan, I did postdoctoral training at Emory University and I'm still at Emory right now. Mm -hmm. So, look, you've no doubt seen the emerging situation in Australia regarding yes. the Delta strain of COVID. And I saw in your news over there that cases are on the rise again. And we've pretty much been told vaccination is the only way out of this pandemic. Secondly, my private practice in this podcast is aimed at women who often have complex trauma histories and therefore they may have compromised immune systems. They also have complex family systems where their basic needs were neglected and this sometimes impacts their level of risk-taking, their level of self-care and their level of self-protection. Thirdly, we're bombarded on social media with conflicting information and a lot of misinformation, and people are very confused about whether to get vaccinated or not. And you've already shared a little bit of your side of family history, and, and actually my side as well, because my grandmother had diabetes, type 1 diabetes, and also actually my father has type 2 diabetes, so it's definitely in my family as well. But we also have another interesting family history in terms of lockdown and vaccination, and Let's go back to the 50s and my mother, when she was nine or 10 years old, had to go and live with your grandmother for nine months because there's a lot of family members being mentioned here. So then the great-grandfather, they were apparently travelling around Italy and he caught tuberculosis. And as she told the story to me, the nurse there um, told our great-grandmother to get him out ASAP or he would die. So they then went to London and he was hospitalised there for 12 months. So I don't know what the great-grandmother did for that time or where she even lived or, you know, I've got no idea. But um, then he returned to New Zealand and mum said he came home in a wheelchair and then my grandmother and your grandfather both ended up with it. And so ever since I was a little girl, my mum's told me this story about how she used to wave to her mother from the grass outside the window of the hospital that nine-month period. And as a trauma expert, I know that while she would have had the most wonderful care from your grandmother, who was my great auntie Elsie, who I just adored and loved to bits, there would have been a profound impact on her emotional and psychological well-being being separated from her own mother. So it got me to sort of thinking about the millions of people worldwide at the moment who are currently building trauma stories now relating to this COVID pandemic. And the bottom line was that my mum sort of said back then was the reason that they didn't get it is because they were vaccinated. And she also talks about the other kids at school. Some of the kids at school had to wear those braces on their legs because of polio. And mm -hmm. when I was researching for this interview, 
the World Health Organization says that polio has decreased by over 99% since 1988. And this is a result of the global effort to eradicate the disease, primarily through vaccination programs. So when I got to thinking about this interview, I was thinking about my own vaccination history. You know, I had all my childhood vaccinations because that's what just what we did back then in the 70s. I had a whooping cough vaccine when I was trying to get pregnant through IVF, numerous vaccines to travel overseas. But I was super hesitant to get my COVID vaccine because, to be quite frank, the vaccines appeared to just appear out of nowhere. Like one day we had COVID, the next year there was a vaccine. And in Australia at that stage, like many Australians, I was definitely in the wait and see camp. Like, let's wait and see what happens to people in America and Europe first, and then I'll get my vaccine. Fortunately, I did have my both of my jabs. I had the Pfizer back in May and June, because here we find ourselves in a full-on Sydney, in a full-on lockdown with millions and millions of unvaccinated people and a lot of vaccine hesitancy. So I really wanted to speak to you today for you to... I don't know, just help us understand vaccines, how they work, are they dangerous, and anything else you want to talk about with vaccines. So I wonder if you might just start by talking about what what actually is a vaccine? Sure. A vaccine essentially is basically a preparation that stimulates the immune response to produce antibodies towards a specific disease. Um, And it protects that person from disease without them actually contracting this disease. For example, the polio vaccine, as you mentioned, is is a fantastic vaccine. You have the vaccine and the booster, and then you're protected almost lifelong from getting polio. There are many different formulations of vaccines. For example, the measles, polio, influenza, they contain a weakened or an activated part of the actual um, virus. Uh, these newer vaccines, like the COVID-19 ones, which you are more hesitant about, they don't actually contain viral proteins or antigens, but what they are, they're basically a blueprint for producing a piece of the virus once they become inside your cell. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Because, you know, what, I mean, and we're going to do a bit of myth busting later on, but, um, yes. you know, one of the things you hear all the time is that we're being injected mm-hmm. with COVID-19. So... Um, no, so that so that is that is definitely not the case. And the RNA vaccines, for example, the Pfizer, um, the Moderna vaccine, they contain a small amount of the messenger RNA, which when go inside the, the nucleus of the cell, generates the viral spike protein um, for the COVID um, virus. But that's all a tiny piece of protein. There's no there's no other components of COVID nineteen. It's wow, not infectious. Okay. It's not even any part of the virus to start with. And in case of AstraZeneca, again, it's a small piece of protein that's produced. Mm-hmm. It's not the virus at all. Wow. Okay. Um, so how, how do they actually work, Tanya, vaccines? So you, you've touched on that a little bit, but how? So I, I, I think it's for, for, this, for the point of this, when we're talking about COVID-19, I'll just really talk about how these vaccines work. Mm-hmm. Um, So there's there's really two main types of COVID vaccines. I'm just going to talk about the ones that are available in the United States and in Australia. Um, In that case is the Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Um, So these two types of vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, which is also used here, are RNA vaccines and the AstraZeneca is a viral vector vaccine. So the RNA vaccines, they contain a small amount of genetic material from the virus that basically gives the cells the instructions to make a small harmless piece of the COVID-19 viral spike protein. So our 
bodies after seeing the spike protein being generated, they realize that it's, it's a foreign piece of protein. So they produce an immune response against it, which is producing antibodies. But also even as important as antibodies is the BNT lymphocytes, because that's how you remember to fight a virus if you see COVID-19 in the future. The mm-hmm. other type of vaccine, which is the, the AstraZeneca, is a viral vector vaccine. So that uses a vector. It's not the COVID-19 virus. I want to be clear about that. But it's mm-hmm. a harmless virus to, to enter the cell. And then it produces the mRNA and uses the cell's machinery, your own cell's machinery, to produce the same spike protein. And the reason why they're targeting this spike protein is because the spike protein is on the surface of the actual COVID-19 virus when you get infected and it attaches to your cells and that's how you infect. So if you can block the spike protein, you can block entry into the cells by the COVID-19 virus. So these antibodies will block the spike protein and prevent COVID from infecting the cells. But the other thing I want to make clear that there's some misconceptions too, is that after your cells make the spike protein, the genetic material from the virus is destroyed. It does not hang around in your cells. mRNA is very unstable. So wow. there's nothing taking over your cell machinery. It's, it's, it's made the protein, then it's gone. So, you know, when you look on Facebook and there's a lot of negative information, I mean, so far, everything I've heard about vaccines on the internet from Facebook posts is incorrect from what you're telling me already. So that's good. I'm glad you've cleared that up. Um, one of the other things that I saw was that people are saying that throughout the COVID vaccine trials, some of them were paused because of hiccups and there was a lot of negative media coverage around this. And I was interested to see, uh, actually, when that was in the news, it was like, oh, this is a bit scary. I don't know if I want to be taking right. that. But right. I actually read recently that that's quite, it's quite normal to pause trials, but I just wanted to get your um, expert opinion on that or advice yeah. about that. Is that, is that yeah, normal? It, 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 it certainly is not, it's not unusual for clinical trials to be paused um, for review. And I mean, if you kind of think about it, that should be somewhat comforting to actually know that there's been great attention paid to the safety procedures and the data that's been t- t- detected. So you can potentially find any rare event that may occur. So once the trial is paused, then the assessors and reviewers, in the case here is the FDA, will review the data and determine if this abnormal event was vaccine-related or not, and then they determine the risk versus the benefit and whether to resume or just continue the trial. And as you know, these trials continued and the vaccines were were generated. Although I do have to mention that mRNA vaccines did not have any pause in their trials. So, you know, what what kind of regulation process do these go through? You know, I mean, I I suspect... I actually feel silly even asking that because I imagine that it's very stringent. But for the sake of our listeners, would you just mention that? Yeah, so there's one big misconception, which is on every social media platform possible, is that these vaccines were rushed in development and therefore they're not safe because there was no safety oversight. That is actually not true. These COVID-19 vaccines, they were actually built upon decades of research performed in many labs across the globe took the science the the research and built this COVID-19 vaccine for example one of the mRNA vaccines I think it was the Pfizer one was generated in a couple of days the actual prototype because they built upon science that had been developed over the past decade and it's if you think about it how it's kind of truly amazing because it was this amazing effort of 
of funding, money being available, large-scale manufacturing, the collaboration of many, many scientists, approval boards, also manufacturing, and also give credence to the general public in Europe, United States, who are willing to step up to actually participate in clinical trials of these brand new vaccines. And the other thing to be very clear about is that these vaccines were not rushed through the clinical trials. They went through the phase one trial, which is a, a trial for a very small number of people for safety. They look at dosing, they look mm. at effects. Then they went through the phase two, which has several hundred. They look at, they have different characteristics, such as different age groups, health, furthest t- testing of safety. And then they went also through the, the most critical phase, the phase three, which enrolls um, at least 30,000 people to test the efficacy of the vaccine. So these COVID-19 vaccines went through all of these phases of clinical trial, and that was not rushed at all. And at the end of the trial, the data was analyzed in the case of the United States by the FDA. And very quickly, I mean, they were working on that nonstop to analyze all the data to make sure there was going to be no detrimental effects to the public. And they issued the emergency approval for these vaccines to be used. Wow. It's interesting. I didn't ask you this in advance, but I'm, I'm sitting yeah. here thinking, oh, what kind of people go and be a sort of sit for these kind of trials? Do you have any sort of research around that? Yeah, you or? know, it's, it's really interesting because I have participated in a number of other kinds of trials and people sign up for these trials. In this case, a lot of it is altruistic. They want to get the vaccine developed so it can help everybody. Some will do it for the money. Uh-huh. I have been involved in this trial, which I thought nobody would ever enroll. It was taking bone marrow samples, you know, like three different bone mm-hmm. marrow drawers. Not a problem enrolling. People are willing to do these trials, I think, for the greater good. And that, yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah. yeah, because I remember, you know, hearing back when all this sort of first started, I thought, right, what, what kind of people actually do that? <laughs> you know? I know of four people that enrolled in the phase three trial, two of them professors, one actually was a very famous professor that had a major role in vaccine development at CDC, and he was one of the first ones to enroll in this trial. Wow. And I guess from what you're saying already that these weren't actually new. This is stuff that's been built on of 10 years of other sort of vaccine making history that I guess in many ways it's not as risky as what the lay public would have thought of. Would have been. It's not, it's not at all. It's been built upon a platform that was already developed and had other yeah. vaccines already. And that's another reason why the FDA could approve it quicker because similar vaccine platforms had already been reviewed by the FDA, not COVID, mm. but in other situations. Yeah, wow. And it's also comforting to know that the, the people who are very experienced in this field are signing up for the COVID vaccine trial. Yeah, exactly. So Tanya, tell me who should get vaccinated? Everybody that's eligible should get vaccinated. The vaccines are safe. Billions of people around the globe have already taken them. If you're eligible, go get vaccinated. If not, I mean, for yourself, for everybody around you in your sphere. Okay, so who shouldn't get vaccinated? There's actually a very limited subset of people that have certain pre-existing conditions that it's not recommended to get vaccinated. The other is if you have an allergic, in the past had an allergic reaction, severe allergic reaction, anaphylactic reaction to one of the vaccine components, then you you definitely do not want to be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But this is something that everybody should go and talk to their doctor. I mean, Mm -hmm. don't take my word or your word. Go talk to your doctor and ask them, should I be vaccinated? And I am pretty certain 99% will say, yes, you should be vaccinated. So talk to someone that you trust, that you do talk to, you know, for your other medical conditions. 
And you've already mentioned this, that they are safe, but I'm going to ask straight out, are vaccines safe? Generally speaking, vaccines are incredibly safe. There's a lot of myths, um, no myths that are out there. Vaccines cause, you know, autism. That has all been disproven. But for the purpose of this, if we focus on these, the COVID vaccinations, if you think about it, this is one of the biggest human sample, and if you want to call it trial, I mean, there's been 4.2 billion doses being administered already worldwide. Mm. So you have the COVID vaccines in so many people And in the US alone, I think there's been around 339 million doses administered. And there's only been three potential deaths linked to COVID vaccines. And these were all blood clots associated with the the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And the administration of this particular vaccine was paused. They reviewed it and they allowed the vaccine to be administered again because they can provide the information to doctors how to treat patients if this occurs. So making it safe. If you think about it, the pause in in that trial just shows you that the safety monitoring works for these vaccines. If you're picking up three people in in millions, Mm. that there was a rear um, side effect. Mm. So they they are safe. Um, And if you do have any concerns, I mean, talk, talk to your doctor and just look at reputable sources on the internet. The internet is wonderful, but it's also very detrimental for many reasons. Well, also what we know is my husband and Paul and I were sort of joking, you know, this time last year, we were meant to be on the big trip of our lifetime. It obviously got cancelled, but um, we were just sitting in the lounge room talking about Hawaii. The next time I logged onto Facebook, there were all these ads for hotels in Hawaii. So we know that the minute you put one thing into the internet, that Facebook and, and whoever else, other social media platforms are going to keep sending you information to cement your view on something in a way you know so if you've typed in anti-vaccination you are likely to keep seeing things about anti-vaccination if you put hotels hawaii and for the next hundred times you log on to facebook you're going to see hotels in hawaii so i think we need to be very careful about the information that we're receiving because it is very much marketed to whatever it is that we've searched for previously Exactly. And that is very scary. I mean, the algorithms that have been written by Facebook and um, other social media platforms, even Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, Twitter, they're all targeting what they think you're interested in. So if they think you're interested in, for example, like you mentioned, anti-vaccination, a lot of that information is going to come up. I know that Facebook and they are making an effort to put, to try and tag posts that contain false information but a lot still slips slips through. And there is a lot of people out there that are not getting vaccinated because Mm. they believe some conspiracy theory or something that's just not factually true. And I think what we'll do is we're going to unpack some of those later as well. But I do want to come back to, because you you, you did mention about autism and vaccines in general. Um, What I'm going to do in the show notes, I can't remember the exact name of it now, but I watched a really great documentary in Australia, it was on Channel 10 maybe two weeks ago, and the link between anti-vaccination autism and that movement, how it's now moved into the COVID-19 anti-vax movement. And I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but um, fascinating story. And as a psychotherapist, I was super fascinated in the story because He was pretty much sort of praying. He's very charming, this guy. And back in the 90s, maybe some people would have thought he was quite good looking. And there was a whole lot of vulnerable mothers 
who were kind of seduced by this guy and he's kind of popped up in the states now around the COVID anti-vax movement so I can't remember what the show was called but I'm going to post a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to go and watch that. So Tanya I want to come back to the blood clotting because that has been a major deterrent for people taking the AstraZeneca vaccine in Australia so we have millions of doses sitting there that no one wants to take. I mean, if you think about it from the human aspect here, there's been a few cases of blood clotting. So, of course, you're going to want the other vaccine where there hasn't been any reported ill events. However, I mean, the number of people that have had is very, very low. It's yeah. less than one, one in one million. And the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is a very similar vaccine, to AstraZeneca, they now know what to watch out for after you've been vaccinated, Mm -hmm. especially in younger women, which seems to be the more common. And so they can treat those patients. So it it will not result in death. Yeah. But you just need to remember that it's it's a very, very rare event. Yeah. Extremely rare. And also, I think if a lot of people actually read, you know, like if you were to take Panadol, for example, and you look at the, you actually take the yes. piece of paper out and read the, right. I don't ever read those things because I think I wouldn't take anything if, if I read the blog no. on it. Right. No, you wouldn't because everything has some risk associated with it. Yeah. So considering that, bearing in mind there are risks involved and I'm hearing you loud and clear that they are one in a million, uh, maybe even less than that. Some people are wondering, why would I play Russian roulette? I've seen that. That's the comment. Oh, oh, you know, play Russian roulette with your life, you idiots, you sheep. Anyone who gets vaccinated are called sheep and whatever else. Why would we play (laughs) Russian roulette, so to speak? Well, in the case of Australia, I mean, here where COVID has been rampant, I can understand people from Australia sitting back and watching, but right now you're starting to have an outbreak and hopefully it'll get better, but it may not. Yeah. And the benefits are very loud and clear. I mean, you could look at the American data. You can look at the European data right now in the hospitals in the United States. 99.99, I mean, that's almost 100, just under, of people dying of COVID right now. And this is the Delta variant, mm-hmm. which is starting to take over, are unvaccinated people. And wow. you can't get anything, you cannot get anything clearer than that. This vaccine it could save your life, but mm-hmm. not even your life, especially if you're a young person, you're like, oh, I'll get COVID, I'll be fine. But what if you take it home to your mother, your grandmother, the person sitting next to you in the movie theater, there's mm-hmm. someone who can't get vaccinated or immune compromised. It's not just about you, it's about your community and protecting everybody around you. In addition to that, I think it's, it's 95% of people that are hospitalized are unvaccinated people. These numbers are very clear that the vaccine is preventing severe disease Mm. and death. And something you mentioned there, which I think is really, really important, is that you may be okay, maybe, because what we're seeing now over here is that every single age bracket, people are in ICU. Um, We had a 38-year-old die COVID a couple of weeks ago. Um, Right. So you may be okay. But this is a psychological issue too and a spiritual issue in some ways around moving away from an individual I don't want to do something to, and something you mentioned earlier in the interview, to doing something for the greater good of the whole. And people of this generation, we haven't really been asked to do that very often lately. Right, that's correct. And we've been told there is no other way out of this than vaccination. So if you want to move out of this as fast as you can, 
whether you think you're going to get sick or not, there is that element of really making a choice to do this, not just feeling dragged, kicking and screaming to do it, but to make right. that choice for the greater good of the whole. And, I mean, I don't know how we can say that more clearly than that anyway. Exactly. And also if you go back to the Russian roulette example, if you get infected, you are, you're playing Russian roulette because it's unpredictable what your outcome is going to be. I mean, healthy people are getting sick. They're getting on ventilators yeah. and they're dying. Young, old, sure, your risk may be lower, but it could happen to you and you don't know if you're going to be that person. Exactly. So actually, that's a really good point. So you're actually playing Russian roulette by not getting the vaccine. That's what I'm hearing you saying. Right. And the other thing, and especially as thinking about this earlier in the case of Australia, where COVID is not anywhere near as rampant as it is here or it has Mm. been in countries in Europe, such as um, England and Italy, Mm. that if you do have a major outbreak, and I'm talking about more bigger outbreak than what you have now, Mm. the vaccine takes five to six weeks before it's fully effective in use. So you can't go tomorrow and be protected. Mm. So you're kind of building up immunity now for what may happen next week, next month. That's very important to think about. It is. And I think this is in many ways, like New Zealand, we've been very, very lucky. And I think New Zealand need to watch what's happening here as well. Um, We've been very lucky not having, because we worked for a suppression model here and we got onto it straight away and shut the borders and whatever else, but it kind of put us in a bit of a false sense of security, I think, in some ways that we're above this, we're on top of it, that's not going to happen to us. It just took one person and here we are. So you just don't know what's going to happen. Right. And there's one more thing that I, I do want to point out is that my other concern is that you may get COVID, you may recover, but it's really not clear what the long-term side effects of COVID infection is right now. There is hints at potential neurological damage, cardiovascular damage, but I mean, as you know, we're only 18 only, it seems like forever, but it's 18 months into the Mm. pandemic. So we don't have anyone that's five years post-infection, 10 years post-infection. That is another consideration too. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're talking about the benefits of the vaccine in terms of not being as transmissible. What you're saying is there's less people in ICU who have been vaccinated. What are the implications of someone getting COVID and who isn't vaccinated? So I guess the opposite is going to be true. Yeah, the opposite is going to be true. You may get influenza-like symptoms, be sick for, for 10, 12 days, congested, lose sense of smell and taste, but you could progress further and having troubles breathing, needed to be put on a ventilator. And then obviously the worst outcome is that you could die. Mm. So it's not a pleasant disease to get in the first place. Some people have, as you know, probably asymptomatic. They are most likely have a lower infection, but you just don't know how it's going to affect your body or the body of your kids, your grandmother. Mm. Healthy people get COVID infection, suffer and don't make it so Mm. and also like you said we don't know yet what the long-term effects of having COVID are that's correct we don't know that so we've kind of started to touch on this a little bit but let's do a little bit of myth busting we're still seeing people say COVID's just like the flu we should uh, and look England's opened everything up and cases are on the rise here we are still looking at a suppression model so because we are still at only around 200 cases in New South Wales they are still trying to get that back down to zero again that's why we're all in lockdown but in general COVID is just like the flu we should open everything up and just let it run rampant and we should just live with it 
that is a misconception. I've spent almost 20 years working on influenza. So what people don't realize that in the community is a lot of pre-existing immunity to influenza. Mm. A lot of people are already protected. So if there is an influenza outbreak, one, most people take the vaccine. So they are getting vaccinated. The death rate for COVID, I think the last number was about five to 10 times more deadly than influenza. And it's also more infectious. The number of viral particles, especially with the Delta strain, is significantly higher than influenza. So it's more contagious. If you do let it run rampant with no pre-existing immunity in the community, especially if there's incredibly low vaccination rates, it's going to end up like United States where there's 600,000 plus deaths. That's a large price to pay. Yeah, and we're actually only at about 15% vaccinated here. Fully vaccinated, like people who have had two, two doses are only at around 15, 15%. So from what you're saying, I, I'm taking from that that we, well, we know from watching the news and watching Gladys every day that we need at least 70%, but preferably yeah, that, 80%. That is correct. To induce herd immunity to at least protect the ones around you that cannot be vaccinated. Yeah, and that's a really good point too, that if we go back to this for the greater good of the whole, making that decision, we really want that 20% to be people who can't be vaccinated, not just because they don't want to be vaccinated. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, I suspect that the the number that can't be vaccinated is significantly lower than 20%. But yes, there are people, if you're, um, for example, cancer treatment, um, had Mm -hmm. a bone marrow transplant, but you have no immune system, even in the case of transplantation, and other immune compromised situations, you can get vaccinated, but your vaccine response is significantly lower. You want to protect everybody, especially the most vulnerable in the community. Yeah. The next one, COVID vaccines are new, and we've touched on this a little bit. They're still in a trial phase. We are all, the whole world are guinea pigs. Well, I think I mentioned this earlier, the, the clinical trials for this went through phase one to phase, at least the ones in the United States went through phase one, two, and three. They went through the normal processes of a clinical trial. The emergency approval was done quickly because so many people worked together to get that approval done. There was no shortcuts in this. So it's just simply not true. The vaccines went through a normal clinical trial procedure and there were no corners cut at all. Okay, good. The next one, COVID vaccines could cause infertility or cause infertility. I have not seen any credible evidence for the COVID vaccine or actually for a matter of fact of any other vaccine causing infertility. That's a complete myth, I think. Yeah. And actually, I did see an article posted yesterday. There's a very good group on Facebook. I can't remember what it was, but it was something around, said something like, if there's going to be a long-term effect from a vaccine, you would see it within the first couple of weeks anyway. It's not something that you just just appears years down the line or something like that. Yeah, because the immune response to the vaccine is, is really, the initial shot is around two weeks out. And then when you have the booster, you know, it's a month, two months where you have that burst of the immune system. And then after that, you've just got memory cells and antibodies which is the same for any virus, anything you see. So yeah, the effects of the vaccine, typically you would see them earlier on. I can't even believe I'm going to ask this one, but I'm going to ask you just to (laughs) make sure that everybody is very clear. The government are really injecting microchips into our arms. It's almost too ridiculous to even comment on. But just to be very clear, the vaccines, they're delivered through a very fine 22 to 23 inch gauge needle. This is mm-hmm. incredibly small. I, a chip could not fit in that. Also, 
I'm not sure if most people are aware of that the vaccines are packaged in multiple dose files, which are either thawed or and then put into individual needles. So you're superingrating, for example, Pfizer, I think into five doses, so you're mm-hmm. going to equally get microchips. It's not, that's not going to work. And who would coordinate this? That, well, that's, that's the funniest I part. I mean, Did every country in the world get together and say, I hey, know. we're going to put microchips? It makes no logical sense. <laughs> I know. Any of this, to me, any of the conspiracy theories are, are exactly in the same yes. boat as that. Right. I, but for me, this also is about narcissism. It's like, am I really that important that the government want to track me? Like, right. I just think they don't even need to. You've got to be carrying around your mobile phone. <laughs> yes, yes, that gives way more information. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a particularly interesting one because I've got to say I live in near Manly, which is the second biggest anti-vax community outside of Byron Bay, so the second biggest in Australia. Mm-hmm. We're, we're also quite an affluent area where, you know, in terms of being very privileged, so we can afford organic food and whatever else. So this comes up a lot. My immune system is top notch. I eat clean. I have a spiritual practice. My immune system will fight off COVID. I therefore have no need for a mask or a vaccine. Well, as again, as uh, there are healthy people coming down with COVID that are having detrimental consequences. It is great to have a healthy lifestyle, good nutrition and exercise. That's going to benefit every part of your body. I mean, cardiovascular system, memory. But unfortunately, that is not always going to protect you against a viral infection. The virus didn't know you ate organic food. You need to protect yourself through other mechanisms. And, you know, the best way is really a multi-layer protection. I mean, mm-hmm. social distancing, keeping your six feet from people, wearing a mask. I mean, this is this alternate if you don't want to get vaccinated for whatever reason that is, even though I strongly urge you to get vaccinated. I mean, I respect that as your personal decision. So, but you need to protect yourself and others around you as well. So, I mean, you can do other things. You can keep your six feet, mm. wash your hands, put on a mask, especially when you're inside and you're around people where you don't know where, where they've been. So you can still protect yourself, even though the vaccine is the way to do it, through other mechanisms. Just eating healthy, a healthy lifestyle and good nutrition is not going to necessarily protect you. Yeah, I just know because when I go down to my local farmer's market, it's indoors. There is always inverted commas exempt people who come in and I'm exempt. Mm. I don't need to wear a mask. And you just know it's from this sort of cohort. But um, but again, there's some narcissism there and arrogance there too from my perspective. I have run into many of those people. And in the beginning, it used to keep me up at night thinking, oh, my goodness, we're never going to get through this. But you can really just look after yourself and your community and do the best that that you can Mm. to protect everyone around you. Yeah. I guess in a way, like, you know, you're saying it is good to eat healthy and exercise and whatever. Of course. Uh, so if we do get COVID, is there any evidence, do you know, if having a, a health, um, I guess what you're saying is immune compromised people definitely suffer worse. That's why people with diabetes and, and immune system problems were actually on the, I think they were, was it 1B or 2B? I can't remember. They were one of the first people to get vaccinated. But people who do eat healthy and exercise, does it provide any protection or the virus really doesn't know the difference? You know, I'm not sure if the virus knows the difference. It's set from looking at the COVID data, there, there definitely is groups which are higher risk, but there's very healthy people that have come down with COVID and yeah. succumbed. It's not enough by itself. 
Yeah, and I think we're back to that Russian roulette the opposite way. Yes. That, um, you just don't know is what you're saying. Right. Okay, so the next one is you can still catch COVID even if you've had the vaccine, so there is no point in you getting the vaccine. That one has come up just recently with the Delta variant, and there have been some real incidences where people that have been vaccinated are getting COVID. It's real. But the, pointing back to the, the main goal of vaccination, the main goal of vaccination is to prevent severe illness and death. It's not to prevent minor infection. Mm-hmm. And the data is so clear on this right now that, I mean, as I told you, 99.99% of people dying are not vaccinated. So yeah. even if you are one of those rare breakthrough cases, you're barely going to get sick and you're not going to end up hospitalized and you're not going to die. And this is really important, and not that I, I don't want to confuse people by comparing it with the flu jab, but but I, I will. Yeah. I remember many, many years ago, I had the flu one year. Oh, my God, it was so bad. It went on for months, and I, I just could not shake it. I ended yeah. up going because I was a smoker for um, a, a packet a day for almost well, over 20 years, I think, and mm. led a very hedonistic lifestyle in my 20s, so I was a bit naughty. <laughs> So I went and had sort of lung explorations and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, there was no kind of emphysema or anything, but um, I just could not shake this flu. And then the following year, I did a social work placement in a hospital and they said, you need to have a flu vaccination. I thought, oh, I didn't even realise you could have one of those. So (laughs) I went and had the flu back. I have never been sick like that since, but I have had a flu every couple of years but it lasted maybe one or two weeks and nothing too severe, but not like this was where I just, it just went on. It was like this mutating thing that just went on and on and on. Mm-hmm. That your body so just me, gets, yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like this where you're still going to get the flu maybe every year or every second year or whatever, but it won't be nearly as severe as, as if you've had the vaccination. Is that correct? That is correct. And also that's why you want to get as many people vaccinated as possible so you don't let COVID rampant in the community because the more it infects people, the more chances you could develop other variants. I mean, right now we have the Delta variant. Mm -hmm. There could be another. So the more people that are vaccinated, the the less host there is for it to divide. So that's why vaccination is key to really getting this under control. So getting also talking about the influenza virus, So my daughter, two years ago, had, she was not feeling very well. I took her to the doctor and she tested positive for influenza. And literally she was sick for 48 hours and perfectly fine. And the doctor's comment was he had seen many people over the last couple of weeks come in and everyone that was vaccinated were better in 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours, the unvaccinated, it was 10 to 12 days. They came down with illness. So the vaccine- Even though it was not absolute, it brought that illness to a really mild, I mean, not mild, it was a fever, 48 hours back to normal, as opposed to the 10, 12 days feeling mm-hmm. sick the whole time. So they, they make a big difference. And, and you could think of COVID vaccine in this way, although the COVID vaccines currently are more protective, but as variants come along. And also the other thing is that the way these vaccines are generated, it is very easy for them to generate booster shots. So that, that like the annual flu shot, I could see they're becoming a COVID booster shot. Yeah. And I think something you've raised there is really, really important. And this is important for people to know in terms of for the greater good of the whole and not just taking an individual perspective. Right. Is that what you're saying is the more people who are vaccinated, the more herd immunity there is, the less chance of variants 
um, being able to find a host to um, to grow like this Delta one has. That, that's correct. It, it, it's when a virus grows within a host, it could generate a variant within that person. But the, the fewer people there are, and the variant may, may be a dead end or it may be more pathogenic. So yeah. you, it goes both ways. But the fewer people there are for the virus to, to, to travel through, it reduces that risk greatly. And this is something I didn't ask you in advance, but I actually I want to do some more research around this myself because I've been studying nature therapy. And um, something I saw recently said the reason that these viruses are becoming more um, widespread, firstly, obviously, um, we, we travel a lot more than, say, back when the Spanish flu sort of um, happened. But um also because of um, environmental issues in terms of deforestation and stuff like that and and urban environments are getting more widespread so it's it's much easier to find a host than what it was in previous generations do you know anything about that generally speaking that is is definitely the case especially and um, going mm-hmm. back to influenza we are, you see it travel the globe because people are traveling and you can track the different influenza strains across the globe. So mm. definitely travel is very different from the Spanish flu where people were essentially within 30, 50 mile radius. And yeah, again, yeah, the deforestation that could play a role, people living closer and closer together. There's many impacts of this, so, and not just environment. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I actually read an article about that. So I'll see if I can post that in the show notes. I haven't looked at enough to, to really speak confidently about that, but I'll put that there. So look, at the end of the World Health Organization vaccine video series, they say, stay safe, stay healthy and stick with science. Why is it important that we stick with the science here and not just our opinions? I mean, the, the answer to that is, is somewhat obvious because I mean, you need to stick to the facts. The facts don't change. I mean, if people are getting COVID, they're getting COVID. Just because you turn on social media and you listen to this mis- misinformation doesn't mean it's real. The, the science is based on facts. And also the science, science, especially published from, you know, reputable sources, if you could look at the Center for Disease Control website, I can send you some of these links. And also scientific journals that are publishing data, for example, on COVID, if they've mm-hmm. gone through a peer review process, they have been evaluated as being legitimate facts. But you can, opinions of experts in the area, most definitely, you can mm-hmm. listen to their opinions and evaluate them. But political opinions or anti-vax opinions, maybe just go to the source of the science and see, look at the facts for yourself. Well, actually, that guy I was talking about earlier, whose name sort of I can't think of at the moment, but I'll post that right. video. He was struck off the register in the UK and then he popped up in America 10 or so years later. And this is someone who cannot be trusted and, and yet has started all this information and a bit of a guru, a bit of a cult sort of figure, really. So I would always agree in terms of, you know, being a therapist, it's the same thing. I wouldn't listen to sort of, you know, I'm I'm an eating disorder expert. If you want to know about eating disorders, you go to someone who's, I've worked with them for 20 years. So um, very different from even the GP. They know a little bit about eating disorders, but not fully trained in eating disorders, you know. Exactly. They're, They're not a specialist in that field at all. Exactly. Exactly. So there are a lot of people, especially here, probably not in the Northern Hemisphere because you guys are a bit ahead of us in terms of your vaccination programs. There are a lot of people saying, I'll just wait and see. I'm still hesitant. I mean, after listening to you today, I'm I'm sure a lot of people will be less hesitant, 
But if there is someone still out there still thinking, oh, I don't know what to do, what would be your advice for them, Tanya? My real advice would be to look at what's already happened in United States and in Europe. The vaccines have been demonstrated to be incredibly safe. They protect from serious illness and from death. So what is your reason for holding out would be my question. Is it a legitimate reason or I'm just going to wait and see, but what if you wait too long and there's an outbreak? You can't go and get vaccinated tomorrow and be protected. Yeah, thank you. And look, I, I want to add a psychological piece to that too in that, you know, if we think about how um, the psyche works, we, we, we sort of work in, in parts and what happens is we can become over-identified with roles we play, with our feelings, with our thoughts. We can become over-identified with, with groups. And certainly when I first became vegetarian 30 years ago, I'm a vegetarian and my whole identity became built around that. And I think the same is true for people who have really been kind of sucked into some sort of anti-vax stuff. And letting go of that sometimes can mean letting go of a whole identity that you formed around it. So it really requires some very deep work, I think, for some people. And I'll post a link in in the show notes to three wonderful episodes from This Union Life, where they really dig deep under mask wearing, lockdowns, conspiracy theories, and just have a listen anyway and see if any of that speaks to you. So that's from the site. You, You know, Tanya's here talking about the medical perspective. I'm going to put the psychological perspective on there for you to have a listen to. So anything else you would like to say before we end, Tanya? So so really, I mean, my main advice would be obviously to get vaccinated, but at the same time we do have to acknowledge and and respect people that are making the decision not to for for whatever that may be. We can encourage them as much as we can. Yeah. But my advice to those people would be just take precautions. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Masking it's really no big deal putting a piece of tape um, fabric across your face. And if that's going to protect you, it, it is going to protect you. For example, um, my children, um, their schools went to school through the pandemic. A lot of mm-hmm. schools closed down, but we were very fortunate. Their schools went, they had very strict procedures. Mm-hmm. And in both schools, and one's a, a large high school, there were positive cases, but not a single case of person-to-person transmission occurred. Everyone was masked up. That to me speaks volumes in that you can protect yourself through other mechanisms. At this point, you don't feel comfortable getting vaccinated, even though I would strongly encourage you to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And so your whole family is vaccinated. How old were your kids when they, yours are a little bit older than mine. I've got one who's turning 12 in a couple of weeks and the other one is 10 and a half. So I think when vaccines for kids do come in here, I think it will be 12 initially. Right, how, how it is your, 12, yeah. How old were yours? I myself personally got vaccinated as, as soon as I can. I was very fortunate to be one of the first waves. My children, I got them vaccinated two days after the, the FDA granted approval for 12 and above. My son was 15 years old and my daughter was 12. Good, okay, good to know. So you had no hesitation whatsoever no, getting a 12 and a 15 year old vaccinated i had no hesitation and okay. they had minimal to almost no side effects a sore arm that was about it wow that is good to know thank you so much for coming today it's so good to speak to you anything we've talked about if you've got anything you want to send through for the show notes do and i'll put everything in the show notes so thank you for coming oh no, you're welcome it's my, my pleasure journey great to talk to you 
Okay, for the show notes, go to thesoulcenter.online forward slash soul sessions should I get the COVID vaccine. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.